There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I need to talk to you about mybookie.ag. It's a great site to make your, your betting wagers. It's becoming more and more popular across the United States. It's becoming legal across the United States. They cover all the sports, all the prop bets, all the works. They're going to have MLB futures coming out and ready to rock and roll. They have um, all kinds of home run prop bets and whatnot coming down the pipeline there. They got presidential um, things coming out since the uh, State of the Union that you can bet on the Oscars and all that good stuff. But go check it out, and when you're a first-time depositor, use promo code BENCHED, and you'll get a 50% deposit bonus. So if you're a first-time depositor, go to mybookie.ag, use promo code BENCHED, 50% deposit bonus. Deposit 100 bucks, get $50 free. Simple as that, up to $1,000. Now, if you can give us a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much, much appreciate it. It'd go a long way in helping build the podcast. Welcome to Benched with Bubba, episode 143 with Rob Silver of the Launch Angle Podcast and Baseball Perspective. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 143. We're going to do some player debates, a little something a little different compared to the norm of late. In order to do so, joined by a special guest. You can find his work over at Baseball Prospectus and, of course, on the wonderful Launch Angle podcast. He's on Twitter at Rob Silver. Rob, how are we doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, excited to be uh, to be on the bench. Yes, you are benched. You're going to have some fun. We're just going to talk baseball. Like guys that weren't good enough to get into the game, but we're going to talk about the game, so uh, it'll be a lot of fun. But before we get going, why don't you let everybody know what you're uh, doing over at Baseball Perspective, Prospectus, and all that fun stuff over on the Launch Angle Podcast? So I started writing a BP six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, just before Christmas. Uh, they're doing their position by position 
uh, previews. So this is Outfielder Week. It's also uh, Pakoda Day. So they just uh, it's Wednesday when we're recording this. They just released uh, Pakoda today, their projection model. So they are obviously very excited about it. I'm excited about it. I love projections. So being able to dive into it and just see which players Pakoda is an outlier on is a ton of fun. And launch angle, we're uh, I'm recording that as soon as I hang up with you. So uh, it's a busy a busy podcast day for me today. Oh, I feel so privileged that Van Lee and, and Mr. Zimmerman were going to put you on hold for a minute. I, I I'm going to use that. up all my good stuff with you and like <laughs> the dreks and the leftover takes. The coldest of all cold Canadian winter takes are going to be left for them at the end. I love it, love it. I've, I've had Van Lee on the show. He's, he's a good dude. He's really awesome. Dude. He's so. such a good guy. Yeah, that, that's a fun podcast you guys got going there. It's one of the better ones out there for sure. There's a lot of good ones, but your guys is, is very, very good. I appreciate it. We, we just wanted to crack the top 25, maybe 30 fantasy baseball podcasts. So if we're as long as we're over that, like that hurdle, then uh, I appreciate it. Perfect, perfect. Uh, you mentioned projections, and that's something that, you know, through the years I've become more and more a fan of. And I know you tweet a lot of projection information out, and I use a lot of it in my kind of analysis. And um, you're, you're way more statistical. You're, you're way more advanced than I am in the statistical realm of things. But when you look at projections, you know, the steamers of the world, the bats, now you mentioned Pakoda, how do you kind of use them to analyze? Because they all, they all have their goods and their bads, but as a whole, you can use them. How do you go about that? So there are two components to any model-based projections. One is what the true talent of the player is, and two is what the playing time projection is. Um, in terms of true talent, they, and they all they all vary slightly. Um, if I'm going to differ from them, I need a good reason to differ uh, from them in terms of what true talent is. So a great, a, a very easy and obvious answer is. Uh, a lot of the projection models still think Miguel Cabrera is a great hitter. And I get why. If you do any kind of a weighted three-year average, if you look at how hard he actually uh, still hits the ball, I get the fact that you could come to the conclusion that while he's not peak Miguel Cabrera, the underlying talent is still there. And frankly, Miguel Cabrera, when he's like 72 years old, will still probably be able to hit the crap out of a baseball. Like, that's what he does. But... I think I can make a pretty good probabilistic argument that Miguel Cabrera in 2019 is not as good as the model, say, from a true talent uh, perspective, for a variety of reasons everybody knows. And, like, I don't want to turn this into a Miguel Cabrera podcast. (laughs) So so when I differ from a guy, I do some pretty deep analysis on why I think they're wrong because my base assumption is projection models are – both smarter than I am and dispassionate from my uh, from from me. That doesn't mean that I don't do scouting. Doesn't mean I don't do my I use my eyes. Doesn't mean, especially with young players, rookie players, that I don't understand that um, somebody who's actually scouted them can see talent that that may not be there in the stats. But it's got to be a reason. The second part, as I mentioned, is playing time. There, I differ wildly because they're guessing. And it's the one area where uh, every study has shown human beings are better at projecting playing time uh, than any kind of a model uh, is, which doesn't mean that you should be homerish. Where people get into themselves into trouble is the guys I like will play every day and will never get hurt. The guys I dislike are going to be brittle and injured and and messed up, and therefore my. If you're going to do that, just just pick guys you like. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's a hobby. Like, do whatever the hell you want. It's your team. But you need to be rigorous about it. But at the same time, 
I like, again, I'm a probabilistic guy. I like seeing different scenarios. What if Joey Votto stays healthy for 162 games? What if Joey Votto plays three, you know, 80 games? Well, those are two wildly different uh, polls. I want to see where the break-even point is. So I play a lo- around with a lot of that. And then by the time I actually hit a draft table, then I have a position. Then I have, this is where I actually value the guy. And, and I, I like that a lot because that's how I feel about projections is they're a lot smarter than I am at predicting these kind of things. But the playing time thing, it's like we talk with everybody. You're not supposed to predict injury or anything. But in reality, if you look at a guy that plays consistently 120, 130 games a year, and they're projecting him for 150 all of a sudden, you got to at least take that step back and be like, okay, wait a minute. Now we got to, you know, bring the projections back a bit. This isn't going to happen. Um, and at least have a re- like a realistic expectation going to that draft room, like you're saying. I, I, I joked about this with, uh, with Jeff Zimmerman on the podcast, I think, last week or two weeks ago, was I'm quite convinced that Fangraphs has Miguel Cabrera projected for as many plate appearances as they, did, uh, as they do, not because they actually think Miguel Cabrera is going to stay healthy for 2019, but because they can't name another first baseman on the Tigers. <laughs> so, like, so the true. default is, I assume there's somebody else. I just can't find the guy on the depth chart, uh, Jeff Sullivan, whoever manages the Tigers' depth chart. So might as well just give it to Miggy, and I'd rather assume that it's not Miggy. I'm not to pick on Miguel Cabrera. We've been lucky to watch him play baseball for oh, the last, yeah. you know, for, for our lifetime. Uh, he's glorious, but uh, the end may be near. Yeah, it's hard with, with Miggy because every time, like, I look at first base, I'm like, oh, man, he's so cheap now. I know he can hit the uh, baseball. It's like, God. But then you know, at the same time, you got to, like, smack yourself real quick and go. You know, what, you, know what, you know what's fine to do with him? Like, if he falls deep enough, there's two things, I think, that you need to go into the draft with. Number one, back him up with, like, a Ryan Zimmerman so that on day one, and this obviously isn't a, an only league uh, play, but in a 15-team mix, as long as you pick a second first baseman, so that you can you can you can swap them in and out. Um, and second, you need to be ruthless. Like if May first comes and he's either hurt or or just not hitting anymore, you need to cut him and find this year's Justin Smoke. Like find this year's guy. You can't get into a mindset of where where Miguel Cabrera is brutal. Is he's Miguel Cabrera? His Statcast data shows he's still hitting the ball hard. I'm just going to hold him all year and hope it finally catches up, and he's going to. And then you've just had a, a sinkhole in your team the entire season. No, I totally agree with that. And one reason that we're, we're talking about this and all is, is uh, for those that don't know, Rob Silver is a NFBC main event champion, which obviously there's only one of a year. So it's kind of a big deal. And he's got really good experience in these big time tournaments. And a lot of the uh, people I've interviewed on the show are in the TGFBI. They play in the NFBC, TGFBI, go into the NFBC format. And you got to have the different, you know, philosophies. You know, you can win your league, but if you want to win the whole thing, how do you approach your draft room when you're trying to win the whole thing, not just your league? So first point is you got to win your league. So if you overthink the overall prize, you 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 will you almost certainly mathematically will not win the overall prize if you do not win your league. Uh, though, so I won the 2016 NFBC uh, main event in 2014. I was in the league with the guy who won the overall that year that year. As of September first, we were first and second in the overall. So oh. he ended up winning the overall that year. I think I finished eleventh overall and didn't win my league. So it could have been done, like like if the categories had been a little bit different, but win your league. Number two, um, 
it's not a DFS GPP. Like if you play daily for for a big tournaments, you need massive variance uh, in your lineup. So you need you need to pick outlier guys um, to win the NFBC or, or the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Um, you can win hitting like singles and doubles with your players, grinding out one or two dollar players. So where I think some people get into trouble is they say to themselves. I'm going to take six rookies. Like I'm taking Vlad in the third round and then I'm taking Eloy two rounds later. I'm taking Robles. Like I'm taking, maybe those are all good picks, but they're not good picks because if it all works out, these crazy long shot guys, then look at what this team could be. You know, that could pay off, but I don't know that that's the best approach. Uh, I think you just need a really solid uh, team and breakouts can be old guys. So I think that's the, the that's the other thing is you want upside, but upside can be Daniel Murphy in the sixth round, who is a top 35 hitter in uh, the end. Uh, that's upside. It doesn't need to be a 19 year old. And I like that a lot. That's one thing. I, I love Daniel Murphy. I love those kind of. I like going to the the draft room looking for a consistent guy. I like the old term, the back of the baseball card. You can kind of rely on, but if you go hits that next level, has a bigger year that you know once in a four or five season type season, it gives you that burst. Like Daniel Murphy, you can pencil him in or try to pencil him in for a really solid average. You know, okay power, good run production, and and if he overproduces that being in Coors in around six, that's outstanding. Um, when you go into your drafts, do you look for more Daniel Murphy types or do you, are you okay taking a gamble or two? I know you just said you, you don't want to take a bunch of long shot gambles, but are you like strictly we're going to um, stay safer per se or is it all uh, Early in drafts, so I'm, I'm a valuation guy. So I want, I want to get the, the best perceived ret- uh, return as I perceive it, but I do risk um, – um, adjust those projections. So like Vlad is a really tough one for me because I can look at a projection, put in a replacement level player for the first couple of weeks of the season and make a case why if he hits his 70th or 80th percentile, he's a great buy. Uh, so I'm not opposed to that. I'd prefer to do it. So where, where Acuna was going last year, I thought Acuna was a great buy. But he wasn't a great buy because he's sexy and exciting. It's just my projection showed at that place with the replacement put in, I can get a nice return. Um, the flip side, which may contradict that entirely, is I love Justin Turner this year. I love Daniel Murphy. I love I love a lot of the old guys. Um, so so it's it's I'm not I'm, I try to eliminate bias for young guys or against old guys, it's projections and they all have risk. You just try to quantify it to the extent you can. Yeah. And there's a lot of old guys that uh, I'm becoming very much enamored with as I look at, you know, the uh, ADPs and other factors going into this draft season. And, and speaking of ADPs is we all, we all like to use them. They're a point of reference. How much do you factor in ADPs when you're going into a draft? Um, I do, but there, you know, there's, I'm, I, I, for anybody who follows me on Twitter, uh, I, they, they probably know annoyingly that I dabble in, in politics, uh, a fair bit, specifically Canadian politics. There's an old saying in, in politics that about, uh, public opinion polls that, uh, he, uh, saying, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, they use, uh, polls the way a drunk uses a light, 
uh, a light post for for support, <laughs> not for illumination. And some people use ADP that way, which is this is a great pick because their ADP is 48 and I'm getting them at 57 and therefore I love the pick. And it's like, well, but did you like the player? Like, how did you value the player? The fact that it's around later than an ADP doesn't in and of itself make it a good pick. Um, it doesn't even make it a pick that you should like based on your own projections. And I see a lot of people who are like, oh, we got to take him. Look how much he's fallen. It's like, you should only take him uh, because you like him more than the alternatives on the board now and as you project it going forward. That being said... I pay a ton of attention uh, to ADP, especially ADP the closer we get to actual drafts when I'm like in, in March. Um, they're seeing how closers are, are jumping up and down, uh, seeing how just things are, are, are flowing is hugely important to me, especially because I don't do mock drafts. As anybody who listens to Launch Angle podcast knows uh, how much I hate uh, mock drafts. So my version of mocks is ADP. Um, the... But all that being said, um, I'll jump a guy three rounds uh, in drafts happily, like especially in the back half of drafts. So I'll throw out ADP out the window. And that for people who go to the NFBC main for the first time is what will shock them. So they'll spend all winter. um, Absolutely. Let me find a good real life example. So it's not just... uh, BS uh, rhetoric. So they'll spend all winter absolutely. Uh, ah, this is a perfect example. Carlos Carrasco. Carlos Carrasco is going to be my ace. His ADP is is thirty three right now. So I'm going to get one of the first three picks, and I'm guaranteed Carrasco is going to be there at the at the two three, three turn, and he's going to be my first pitcher. And then they get to the actual draft table, and he goes twenty third overall. And it's like, what just happened? Carrasco's gone. That was my whole plan was to get Carrasco. And they're like, how did you jump him 10 picks? Like, how did you take him uh, instead of Severino or anybody else? And it's like, he was the guy I wanted. So, of course, I took him uh, there. And they're blown away, How, especially with starting pitchers or some of the helium guys, how early they can go once you actually get to the main. So it's helpful to a point. Once you get there, do your draft like do not be a slave to it at all. No, that's a great point. Like, I, I guess a really good reference as you're getting everything ready, kind of what you're saying. And then, you know, you got to be able to bob and weave based on what you you believe in and what you've done your research to. I, to get well, to that and point. So, so, like, with the Carrasco example, um, two things. One, by definition, if somebody jumps a guy, somebody else just fell. So yes. it's not, it's like it is, a, it is by definition binary. But number two, there's nothing wrong with having a draft strategy going into the draft saying, I'd like to take Carrasco as my uh, first starting pitcher at ADP. I have the third pick. I'm going to take him in the second round. That You should do that. Everybody does that. Um, it's You need to then have a backup of what happens when Carrasco is gone. And a fine backup would be, well, I think Bauer may be there. I like him just as much or I like him almost as much. But would you take Walker Bueller there if if both of those like so it's having the second, third, fourth, or or am I skipping pitchers and I'm gonna hope that I get Flaherty? You know, the next it's having those backup scenarios where if you've really done your draft prep, you know the different scenarios and you have a plan for that. I like that a lot. Uh you mentioned earlier with Miguel Cabrera, you gotta be really like diligent. If he's not doing well, you gotta be able to drop him. 
when you're looking at the NFBC, because 15-team leagues, it's it's big for a lot of people that haven't experienced it. It's, it's a whole different animal compared to your normal 10- and 12-team leagues. Um, a 15-team league, when you're looking to add drop guys, and more importantly, the fab bidding, it's super aggressive in these main event TGFBI-type leagues. How do you approach that? How aggressive do you get in those kind of formats? It's a tough balancing act is the honest truth because unlike fantasy football, that lesser game some people dabble in on the <laughs> sidelines, um, baseball, one of the things I like about baseball is it is a long season. Things do even out. Projections during season are still a much better indicator of the likely production the rest of the season than what they've done to date. From the first day of the season to the last day of the season, it's one of the most important concepts uh, you need to get your head around is is it's steamer or the bat are not only helpful for prep for drafts. They are you should be looking at them five times as much as the in-season stats from the first day of the season to the last day of the season. That being said, it's also a weekly game. So you can't be too patient. You have to look at the next week like it's. It's something I'm still I still struggle with in my game. Is it's a season long game, but it's really 26 weekly periods, and you're trying to maximize the amount of stats 26 times. Football guys get that right. You you have in football you have to be ruthless. By week three, you can't say I like this guy in August if he's not producing. You have to move on and get somebody else in your lineup. In baseball, we need to be patient, but at the same time, you got to be churning your roster. You got to be churning your roster both for who do I need this week? You know, this team is going into Colorado for four games and I need to get this uh, eighth place hitter in because they're better than what I have. So I'm dropping somebody just to get them in my lineup uh, versus I want to take a chance on this guy because I think if they stick as the first baseman uh, for the Jays, they becomes Justin Smoke. And if I don't grab Justin Smoke right now, I'm going to miss out. And I know there's only a 20% chance that he's going to become Justin Smoke, but I got to I got to grab him for a buck now because the week after he hits five home runs, I'm going to have to spend three hundred buck three hundred dollars out of a thousand on him in fab, and that's a really tough thing to do. Yeah, that, that's the balancing act. Like I watch like guys like you, Matt Modica, uh, Vlad Sedler, who you, you all play. Vlad's with the best. Partner. Vlad's the best yeah. at this. I, I literally, I've had Vlad on my show. I DM Vlad. I talked to him because, you know, up until the last couple of years, I never really dabbled in fab. So that first season you're in fab, you're sitting there and it's kind of like a whirlwind of what's going on. And each year you slowly get better. But like you said, it's still, it's different every week because it's a weekly, a week to week situation. And one thing that I think Vlad and those guys do so, so well is they're able to almost look like two weeks ahead. So, so they find that value. It's amazing. So there's 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 a bunch of different things. So what Vlad like I Vlad and I partner in the Platinum League, which is the big 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 money one that the NFBC uh, runs. We finished second last year after messing up our draft as badly as you can mess up a pitching staff. But we still finished second, which is awesome. Uh, it was uh, it was a lot of money. Um, what he is incredible at is seeing. Kike Hernandez this week. We just want him for this week. We just want Kike because this is the pitching matchup. Because he's a great DFS guy, he looks ahead at that week and says, this kind of guy, this not that Kike Hernandez is a scrub, but this matchup is perfect for this guy for the next seven days. We should just pick him up. We will drop him at the end of this week for somebody else. And he is extraordinary at those kinds of uh, churning decisions. Um 
so yeah, he like I've learned a lot playing with Flat because he really is very good at that. Yeah, it's outstanding to watch him and kind of mold it together. Uh, with the NFBC, one thing a lot of people don't know about because you don't do it in any other league I've been in except for the NFBC is you get late week offensive changes, usually just offense. Some leagues do both. How do you approach that lineup Sunday night, Monday morning to compare to like just a, you lock in for seven day format? So for me, one of the things it forces is you want to have roster flexibility. So um, if you 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 want to be able to see the lineups come in Monday uh, going into game time and see how um, guys who are sitting on the Monday, guys who are in you know in a good matchup in a good lineup position, you want to have enough flexibility that you can swap guys. Uh, in and out. So while I don't like paying a premium for multi-position players, there is no doubt that in terms of the flexibility it gives you on your roster to maximize at-bats and maximize situations, there is value to that in season. Again, because it's it's a 26-week game, but as you say in the NFBC, it's really 50, for on the offensive side, it's 52 scoring periods and you want to maximize the crap out of it where it gets tough is if one of your pretty good players is sitting on friday night you bench them for saturday sunday and that's always a tough call yeah definitely um, i could ask you a ton of questions on this because i really i, I love your your analysis on these things how you break it all down because it, it's hard to get that kind of production for many people do you have any before we go on to debates do you have any final tips for people new to the nfbc format as they uh, dip their toes in the water? Um, it's so it's, a, there are no trading leagues and therefore even more than your home league or your trading league coming out of drafts with balance, positional balance, sorry, statistical balance is really important. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to overpay for saves. It doesn't mean that you have to draft Trey Turner or, you know, Whit Merrifield in the, in the first or second round. But if you're really weak in a category or or two categories, um, it's tough to make up once the season starts. So I don't, you don't need to use a draft program. I use Roto Lab. But at the very least, during your drafts, whether it's an online draft, draft champions league, or or a main event, or one of the live drafts, I would recommend to folks that you have a pretty good sense on how your stats are coming in. It doesn't mean you have an arrogance that I know this player is going to hit exactly 26 home runs. It's a projection. Like, there's a big error bar on everything. But you should have a sense is my power coming in? Are my is my speed coming in? Is my how low is my batting average? That's a big one. We'll talk about if we talk about some of the players uh, that we're going to discuss. Batting average that's the hardest category to make up in season, I think. Uh, and then obviously on the pitching side, try to draft balance statistically. I like it, and that's good to know. Like one thing I like to do is I'll try to have like an Excel sheet or something out, and it's never perfect. But when I draft the guy, I put kind of their steamer projections in because those are usually your you know, most lean or kind of most safe ones. Like they're not aggressive on them. And at least it gives me like a running tab of what I could possibly get on all the categories to make me know if I'm in the top, you know, four positions of like last year's overall numbers, stuff like that. But that just gives me a gauge on what's going on. It's not a foolproof system, but it uh, keeps me focused on what I need to attack as the draft goes on. For sure. All right, let's do some player debates. Let's skip the catchers. We had some fun talking NFBC, so we'll skip the catchers. Um, that's, one a, that's, question a, for, that's a safe position for everybody this year. Just skip the yep. catchers. It's, yep. all, it's awful. 
Exactly. Let's just move on from there because I, I put them on as fun. But we'll skip them. Let's go to first base. And as we do these, some are kind of simple and don't need a ton of discussion. Some might actually invoke a lot of discussion. I just wanted to ask you because it's getting a lot more conversation than I thought it would. You have Paul Goldschmidt and Freddie Freeman, the number one and number two, going three picks apart in FBC draft champions since January 1st. And it seems like, you know, in the past it was always Goldie than Freeman. It's a lot closer. For you, where do you stand on these two? It's it's really hard. Um, it's um, – I – so I, I wrote up the two of them for, for BP uh, as a head-to-head thing. And do you realize – I didn't realize this until I wrote it up – that Freddie Freeman stole more bases than Goldschmidt last year? I did not realize that. That's impressive. Um, so – so much of Freddie, like Freddie, both look, both of them are glorious uh, players. There is no right or wrong answer uh, with them. If one of them sprains an ankle and is out for 15 days, the other one is likely to have a better season. So it's really close. But so much of Goldschmidt's, um, what made Goldschmidt an elite, elite player was those, those stolen bases. And I think a combination of age the team he's on uh, now and pending free agency. Um, never mind just his trending down uh, stolen bases. He's gone from 32 to 18 to seven over the last three years. His stat cast sprint speed data, which is good, but it's certainly not like what you would expect that somebody who's stealing 20 plus bases uh, for. Um, I would lean Freddie Freeman. But it's like you're flipping a coin three times uh, with these guys. Yeah, it, Who do you it, like between the two of them? I'm kind of with you because it seems like Goldschmidt, is my, as good as he still is, and I think in St. Louis he's going to love playing there and, and things will work out well. It's, it's really interesting because as he ages and Freddie's kind of still in that peak time, you just expect – and the thing with Freddie is we look at his numbers in the last two or three years even, and he's always had one or two DL stats because he gets hit in the wrist or he does something, and he still puts up amazing numbers. So yep. it's one of those. If it, it and we talked about it already, if you can't predict injury, but if Freddie Freeman plays a full season, plays 155 plus games, I think he's like you're getting value at pick 22, in my opinion, at a guy of what he could do if in a full season. That's kind of that opinion. is the other. So the counter argument uh, uh, for Goldschmidt is Freddie Freeman's power sort of disappeared last year. And the same way I don't think people realize to the extent that Goldschmidt's stolen bases may be in the rearview mirror. Um, it worries me a little bit that he only hit 23 home runs uh, last year. And there's nothing in his stat cast data to say that he got particularly unlucky. So I love the batting average. I love the overall profile, but it's tough to be an elite player when you only hit low twenties home runs. I, yeah, I think it will be rebound, can, but it may not. Yeah, you can get low twenty home runs in round two fifty or pick yeah. two fifty or something. So not with three hundred batting average like Freeman that's the has, difference. But uh, but yeah, they're very close. Definitely. This next one is really fun for me because it's kind of like the guy that burst onto the scene last year. First, kind of the veteran that just consistently puts out pretty good numbers. You have Jesus Aguilar, you have Jose Abreu. One's going to pick 81, one's going to pick 87. It's kind of do you want the stability or do you want to hope for another big season with Aguilar? Where do you stand on these two? 
again, it's close, but I think that I like Aguilar a little bit more. Certainly, I would take uh, in a bubble. If I was taking one, I would take Aguilar more. I think the power is legit. I think the power always was legit. The, the challenge last year at this time was they had 17 guys ahead of him on the depth chart. So how was he going to get any playing uh time uh i he's he is, he is now playing every day uh for them i love the lineup he's in way more than i like the white Sox uh lineup even if machado uh comes there i just think milwaukee has an elite uh lineup um uh no lineup with tim anderson is uh and uh yon makata uh is going to be elite um so yeah I, I i like both of them again but i i like jesus a little bit more yeah, I think Jesus is like we, we were talking earlier about taking gambles on rookies or whatever. I think Jesus Aguilar is one of those gambles that, that you know the upper tier outcome can be just tremendous. Where yeah. the other guys were just kind of rolling the dice on can they transfer from the minor leagues to the big leagues. Where Aguilar, we saw it. We saw how good it was. And even though the second half wasn't as strong, it was still very good. And you can pinpoint certain reasons why it wasn't as strong. And like you said, playing in Miller Park, playing with that lineup, that's that's tremendous. Mm-hmm. All right, another one that's kind of boring to many, but it's actually going to come – you're going to be on your draft room at some point and be like, okay, these guys are still on the board. What are we doing here? You have Ian Desmond and Eric Hosmer. Desmond going pick 147, Hosmer 168. We know they both like to hit a ton of ground balls, but if, if they can figure any launch angle out, this might be productive. What's your thoughts on these two? Uh, Ian Desmond is one of the most difficult uh, players uh, – in baseball for me to uh, figure out uh, this year. Uh, the reason is, um, would it shock you if they just like waived him um, no. before the season opened? Cause in real life, like they have the contract, um, but he's terrible on that team. Like he's awful on that uh, for them and they shouldn't be playing him. On the other hand, they he is still with uh the uh with the Rockies and he he was real like he's real baseball bad but because of where he plays he was fantasy um really good last year in the end the batting average uh was low but he had a 2020 season and uh given where first base is he was one of the top 10 first basemen uh last year uh in fantasy so from him being cut the day after my draft to him doing exactly what he did last year, only with a better BABIP and uh, a full season of playing time and being like a top 30, top 35 hitter, those are both completely plausible outcomes. Um, so I'm not dodging answering the question. Uh, <laughs> though, if you want to move on, I'm happy. <laughs> not to answer the question. Um, whereas, whereas I think I think Hosmer his contract is and the signing was so bad. But Hosmer is a should rebound a little bit, should be better than last year, and should be a fine pick. So I would take. It depends on the team that I have at that point. It also depends if I need the speed. Like part of what makes uh, makes Desmond interesting is that he gives you a bit of speed as well. So it depends is the honest answer. No, that, that's exactly what it is. That's what makes Desmond interesting. He gets on, when he gets on base, he runs and he runs very very well. So uh, you know, playing in Coors is never the the worst scenario half of your season. 
But uh, I mean, Hosmer's interesting. It's like as much as I don't want to like him, and I think the sour taste in the mouth of that contract, he, he can be productive, and he's going to get his plate appearances. You don't have to worry about any of that. So it is very interesting. Um, one last guy. It's not a debate. I just wanted your opinion on this because I can't wrap my head around this guy. A lot of people I respect love him. A lot of people I respect want nothing to do with him. I just want your opinion on Luke Voigt with the Yankees because, you know, Greg Bird didn't work there for two years. Now they're trying Luke Voigt. I'm just really confused on what's going on there. Um, I'll, 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 so I took Pakoda and give, and I gave every player 600 plate appearances. So normalized, uh, playing time just to see true underlying, uh, talent. And Luke Voigt comes in two spots behind Chris Davis with a K, uh, three spots wow. behind Nelson Cruz. So on a per plate appearance basis, um, He's um, borderline elite. Um, so then the question is, how much is he going to play? And I, I think Greg Bird with the Yankees is is uh, done. Yeah. And as of today, I don't know who else they're playing at first base uh, there for. Um, so I get that Manny Machado could sign there, and that makes everything really complicated. But I think that Luke Voigt's a great buy uh, right now because everybody is being super conservative on his playing time. Um, and uh, that pushes his stats down. But he's going to pick like 190, 193 in NFBC and give me that all day. Uh, I'll all take right. the risk because I know if I'm wrong, like I, I'll, I know if he's only playing three days a week, uh, I can move on from there and find another first baseman Uh without too much trouble, but I think the upside is, is quite, uh, quite good there. Okay, perfect. That's a great explanation. I, uh, I've just been so confused on it, but that makes a ton of sense. So no worries at all there. Let's move to the second base and one that you commented on the Twitter feed the other day about Scooter Jeanette pick 107 against Robinson Cano pick 129, the aging veteran, the young stud in a great ballpark. Um, I, I went Cano on value alone and just consistent upside but I love the heck out of Scooter Jeanette. What's your thoughts on these two? Um, I think people undervalue Scooter Jeanette largely because his name is Scooter. <laughs> people just can't take him seriously. Um, like he's one of a handful of players to hit 290 uh, the last both of the last two seasons, and everybody else is going in the first or the second uh, round. And I think people. Um, and some of the projection models, I should say, too. Um, buy the power coming, uh, but don't buy the batting average sticking. Some of the projection models do think the pa- uh, the batting average sticks. Pocotus, uh certainly thinks that, that uh, while well, 290 may be a little bit high, uh, that, that it's for real. Um, so I think Scooter Jeanette is basically a five-year younger version of what Robinson Cano is. And I give me the that. younger... Uh, prime version their skill set is quite similar um i don't think cano has a next level to him uh jeanette if he does what he did the last two years um is great so taking cost out of it i would rather scooter jeanette uh in terms of which is the better buy at adp you know that's up to you you know and i i think that's a great point that's what got my attention on them so much is they almost are the same player. Like you, like when you look at the whole, you know, the year by year productions, at least scooters last two years compared to Cano and all the projection sites and just the tools, 
there's a lot of similarities there. It's really interesting to where that goes. And yeah, if Scooter can take the next step in a better lineup than he's ever been in this year, it, it could be really interesting. Now, like guys in front of them, do you take like Jeanette over D Gordon and Travis Shaw? Uh, D Gordon, I take ahead of him. If I've messed up or not messed up power, if I don't have any power by the time it gets to that round, I may have no choice, but to take D Gordon. Um, and I do like D Gordon. Uh, Gordon's exactly the same guy he's been every other uh, year. So he is a flawed real base, real life baseball player. There is no doubt that he is a flawed real life uh, baseball player, but in the silly game we play, uh, he has two skills that are uh, very valuable to us. He runs when he gets on base uh, and he puts the ball in play enough with his speed that I think the batting average comes back. So I like T Gordon a lot. I'd rather in a bubble scooter Jeanette, but some teams may force me to take T Gordon over him. And I like Shaw too a lot. I like Shaw too a lot. I would love to have Jeanette and uh, Shaw, but I, I like scooter a little bit more than Shaw. And that Gordon part, I'm glad we brought that up there, is it's really interesting because the real life and the fantasy world are two different things. And it's hard for some players to differentiate the two because D. Gordon, if you just watch him on, you know, late night, Tuesday night in Seattle, he really doesn't jump off the the screen to you at all. Like, it's really, really slow. But when you you break it down on what helps your fantasy team, he's actually really good. And, you know, in years past, as you've been doing this, D. Gordon was probably going another 40 or 50 picks earlier in the past. And now he's uh, last, last year, last so a year ago at this time, his ADP in the NFBC was right at the end of the second round. So he was like pick 30, 31. I'm going off memory uh, here. And a lot of smart people uh, were saying uh, he is a must draft because he is your, your uh, speed and batting average source. Get him uh, at that ADP cost. No, see, that's why I like 70 pick difference. Really uh, interesting stuff there, and I agree. That batting average, the speed, you got to love it. All right, let's go to another second-base debate. You got batting average. You got some speed here, too. Jose Altuve, the first off the board at pick 15. Whit Merrifield, pick 32. I'm really curious your opinion on these two. Um, I think that – so Jose Altuve, a year ago at this time, had out-earned Mike Trout – in the last year, the last two years, the last three years in fantasy. And there was a legitimate, though flawed, argument to take Jose Altuve, therefore, over uh, um, over Mike Trout. Last year, he had the knee injury, and we saw what happened uh, to him. Every indication he is healthy this year, and therefore Jose Altuve – at his cost is it's like uh, the, I think the line I used in BP when I, I was talking second baseman is it, it's like a comet. It only comes around once every 85 times. And this is the year for the cheap Jose Altuve. It's never coming again in our lifetime. So I, I like Whit Merrifield a lot, but cheap, give me cheap uh, Jose Altuve at the end of the first round uh, all day. I think he's exactly uh, the type of player you want to buy on the rebound. Yeah, some, like obviously it's not 70 picks like D. Gordon, but Altuve was going second, like everywhere last year. So, you know, he got banged up, stuff happens. If he is healthy, yeah. it's tremendous. And, you know, we, we can, we'll jump around here for a second, but, you know, you got guys like Altuve, Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, um, Brian Dozier. A lot of these guys are in the debates that I have written down, but um, let's just talk about them. There's so many guys that were going early last year, either between injuries or just a rough season. So much value if you perceive they come back, 
how do you look at guys like that? You don't have to like break each one down specifically, but when you look at these guys that we were so hot and just it didn't work out, and now you see this draft fall compared to last year, how do you go into drafts looking at that? Um, recency bias is a powerful drug, um, and that's what's driving a lot of uh, a lot of that. Um, I every year I do a study on last year's biggest losers guys who lost the most money from cost to what they earned and who are the biggest winners who made the most money and almost every year because of regression because of recency bias if you draft the biggest losers the following season if they're healthy so obviously johnny cueto being one of the biggest losers uh is not doesn't help you at all cross him off the list if a guy's hurt that's a different story but guys who are healthy uh, draft the biggest losers and fade the biggest winners, and you'll do pretty well year over year. All right, then Rugnino Dor versus Brian Dozier. Yeah, Rugnino Dor, you know, he's still young. He's showing signs of improving off and on. He's picked 129, Dozier 134. Do you go with the biggest loser, Brian Dozier, or do you go to the youngster in Odor? No, I, I – uh, so I like Brian Dozier as a bounce back, but I think Rugnino He's a, as a Blue Jays fan, I can say he's a schmuck uh, who deserves to get punched in the face, even though I don't believe in violence. Uh, but uh, but no, Rookie is uh, is a nice buy. It is price. The batting I, batting average is never going to get uh, much higher than two fifty, two sixty. But I, it's not going to be that two oh four from from two seasons ago either. So I think he's. Uh, he still feels like that annoying guy has been around forever, but he's still young enough that uh, that I think he's still on the upswing. Yeah, he's very, very good. Uh, just a couple more here. Uh, at shortstop, Corey Seager coming off the big-time injury. Um, people say he's healthy, ready to roll. There's a guy like Elvis Andrews who two years ago really popped off the screen. Last year, not so much, but he was banged up as well. How do you look at these two guys? Because you're getting a ton of perceived value, I guess. Depends on – how you look at them, how you, you you think they'll perform this year. But you got guys like Corey Seager. He's going to pick 89, another guy that used to be going a lot higher. And then Elvis Andrews all the way down to 170. So how do you look at these two? Um, you picked maybe the only matchup you could have where I'm pro Corey Seager because I'm not a big I, – I, I, look, I love Corey Seager, the player. If I'm the Dodgers, I'm thrilled I have Corey Seager, and I'm excited about Corey Seager coming back. But the two biggest losers the last three years in terms of cost versus return have been Corey Seager and Carlos Correa. And they're both glorious players. Like, again, in real baseball, uh, if you were doing an actual draft for Major League teams, they'd be first-round picks very easily and for good reason. Um, but they've been people have been paying for the name, not for the production. So Corey Seager um, doesn't run. So t- he's a, a best-case scenario a four-player uh, guy. Assume he's fully healthy. Um, the batting average should come around – he has never shown uh, more than uh, mid twenties uh, power, and mid twenties power with like a two eighty two ninety batting average, like, is a really nice player. But I th- think people are expecting superstar player, and he's superstar real life player because if you can do that and play shortstop, you're awesome. But um, I'm not sure uh, that this year everybody's like he's so cheap compared to what he used to be. I don't know that I'll own a single Seager share anywhere this year. That being said, um, 
So I think Elvis's Andrews power burst from two years ago was a fluke. And why did we always love Andrews? Because he was safe speed. And for the last 18 months, he hasn't run at all. So if he's no power and no speed, then he's what, like Jose Vizquel? <laughs> uh, like he, he's just not a good hitter. Um, or is it's not a, that that's that's overly harsh. Um, so my problem though is if I'm drafting Elvis Andrews, I'm drafting him on the assumption that I'm getting 20 stolen bases. And I can miss, like I said, I forget who I said earlier. Oh, uh, the Voight, uh, not Voight. Um, anyways, whoever it was, uh, there's lots of things I can make up. 20 stolen bases is hard for me to make up if I only get six from Elvis Andrews. And I just can't count on the guy to be running at all. So I'd give me Seager of, of those two pretty easily. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask is because I'm with you in the Seager camp. I want like pretty much nothing to do with him at his value, his price point, or I won't be touching him. Um, it's just interesting because there's, I'm hearing the rumors that, you know, Elvis Andrews will be back. He's healthy, all these things. Do you want to take that gamble? So I, I like where your head's at there. Uh, last one I want to go with here at third base, you have Chris Bryant coming back, you know, possible bounce back candidate. Versus the phenom that everyone can't wait to see in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And all the projection sites love Vlad. They project him to be one of the best hitters in all of baseball. But he's never seen professional hitting at the same time, or at least at the big league level. How do you look at these two going into a draft? Um, if you told me that um, that Vlad Guerrero in his rookie season did what Chris Bryant does every season when he's healthy, which he obviously wasn't last uh, year, then as a Blue Jays fan, I would take it in a second. So if you ask me who do I think will be drafted higher next season, I could buy that Vlad is taken ahead of, uh, of Bryant, but – Bryant at the end of the second round, um, like give me that all day. Also, like the 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 the, the prospect. I, I'm not even a Cubs fan. The Cubs have become such an unlikable team in so many ways. But the prospect of going Max Scherzer, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo after three rounds is ridiculous. Yep, that's a lot of consistency of upper echelon talent. That's pretty. There's no doubt. Pretty damn awesome. Uh, we've. Been, so I think that uh, a transformative generational player, but we've become so spoiled by rookies who have come up and had immediate success that we forget that even generational transformative players, let's call them Mike Trout, sometimes struggle yeah. in the first month, two months, three months of the season. So I don't predict that. I think most likely land dominates right off the bat. But you can't discount the possibility that he does struggle for a little bit adjusting to the majors, even though there's nothing to say that he will because he's dominated so thoroughly at every level he's ever played at. Yeah, that's kind of where I sit on him is I think he's going to be very, very good, like a top-tier talent eventually. I'm just concerned there's going to be some of those rookie hiccups that are going to really take its toll where you have to take him in the draft. And that's just kind of where I sit on him right now. I'd love to own him. He's going to be one of those guys that the fun players to own, as you know how it goes, but that's not how you win leagues. And that's, and that's, that's what I wrote at BP about Vlad this week was it's your fantasy team. If you want to be able to tell your kids about the, the summer that you own Vladimir Guerrero jr. In his rookie season, and you want to be able to watch him every single night play, 
that's not the worst re- like I wouldn't do that if I had fifteen thousand dollars in entrance fees uh, in an NFBC draft on the line. Um, but like for for ninety nine percent of fantasy players, that's a pretty darn good reason to draft the guy. Like like that, we all laugh. With those of us who do this, we laugh. Oh, what a silly reason! To- no, it's a hobby. And yeah, it's not it's a terrible pick. It's 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 supposed to be fun. It's certainly defendable from like I want to win my league and have fun. Like it, there, you can totally. If you'd given me somebody a little bit worse than uh, Bryant, I'm not. I I have no problem with uh, Vlad Guerrero at his current uh, ADP at his current cost. Uh, I would just rather uh, Brian. Let's, let's have let's have fun with this then. Vlad or Anthony Rendon? Uh, Vlad, and I love Vlad, Rendon. Uh, Vlad or Eugenio Suarez. Vlad. Okay. That's, so, that's so like, like you just with Bryant, you happen to pick a guy ahead of him. Uh, with Rendon, it's very close. Uh, I like Rendon. It's flip a coin with Suarez, who I think is criminally underrated. Give me Vlad because I do think Vlad will be awesome right off the bat. I love it. Um, I'd love to ask you some Toronto Blue Jays questions, but let's wrap this up and I'll, I'll Don't talk to you. Draft about- any pitchers. Well, I'm a, I, I, I'm falling in love with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Am I um, foolish for this? <laughs> uh, a little bit depends on how big how big a league are are you typically falling in Fif- love with him? Fifteen team league, middle infield option. Yeah, um, I think he um, will. I think he's long term an outfielder. So in a dynasty keeper type league, um, that's where I think you're going to get him long term. His range of outcomes is so big, uh, Guriel. People don't appreciate when he defected from Cuba. He stopped playing baseball for two years. So like two years ago, when he was playing in the Arizona Fall League, um, he had gotten however many at bats uh, in the minors that year, but he looked lost. And scouts told me when I was there watching him, it was like, because he hasn't played in two seasons. So we don't know what he's going to be yet. I think he, the hitting side is not the issue. It's the defense. Uh, he's not a shortstop. Like the glove just isn't uh, there unless he gets a lot better. Um, but I think he'll, he'll mix and match enough plate appearances to have a nice season. I wouldn't fall in love with him, though. And are we going to have a chance to release Rowdy Tellez this season to the masses to enjoy um, the problem is, uh, they're not, just Where's gonna, they gonna play? <laughs> they're not giving away smoke, uh, for free. And there just aren't that many teams in need first baseman. Now, if, uh, the national league suddenly has a DH, then the Jays may have two DHs, uh, uh, in, in Kendris and smoke, uh, to play to the, uh, the NL. Uh, I like Rowdy as well, but, uh, uh, it may be a while before we see him up back up. Yeah. I'm really concerned about possible playing time, but man, he's fun. Um, he all right. That'll wrap us up, Raw. This was awesome. Can you plug all your stuff? Let everybody know where they can find you. What's going on? Uh, you can find me at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, it's um, it's a subscription site. I get why people don't like paying subscriptions because there's so much good content for free. There is a lot of good stuff. It's not my stuff, but there's a lot of stats like Pakoda and and the advanced uh, statistical stuff that uh, BP does in addition to all the great writers that I think it's worth it. Uh, Launch Angle Podcast where you can find you can find wherever you find podcasts and uh, God help you if you follow me on Twitter, but I'm uh, at Rob Silver on Twitter and I apologize in advance. And you should follow Rob Silver. Uh, always great content over there, especially when it comes to fantasy baseball. And if you want to get his political impact as well, check it out. But um, everybody, go check it out and go listen to the podcast. Great podcast. And BP, one thing I always tell people with subscription sites, I understand if people don't want to pay them, 
But when each site offers unique things like Baseball Prospectus does, then it becomes valuable. So that's why I say go check stuff out like that. But, Rob, thanks for joining me, man. Great time. We'll have to do it again sometime. Anytime. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 143. Catch you guys later. better with an auto policy from American Family Insurance. No matter what dreams you're driving towards. That's because our expert agents will make you feel totally protected with the right auto coverage at the right price. You'll also save up to 23% when you bundle auto with home. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.